did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Agoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinon, from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet the father of Rikishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give you into, into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will set Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out to Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heather, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobart, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far as the Oak in Zarnim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abonion, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harasheth Pagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth the Goyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on the foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was a peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her in the tent, and she covered him with a rope. And he said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heather, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I'll show you the man whom you are seeking. 
So he went into his tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. Let's continue reading from chapter 5 together. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, but the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Eden, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anna, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. The villages ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. To the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villages in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, the son of Adonai. Then down march the remnant of the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down to me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their foot, their root, from Ephraim, their roots, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali too on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tana by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. And loud beat the horses' hoofs with galloping, galloping of the steeds. Curse Neros, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. 
most blessed of women be jail, the wife of Peter the Canaanite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble bowl. She sent her hand to the tent head and her right hand to the workman's mouth. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? The wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck of spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land have rest for forty years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Andrew, for the reading. Welcome, everyone. I've met a couple of people for the first time, so welcome if you're visiting our church. We're looking at this Old Testament book of Judges, and it's, uh, if it's your first time, then um, don't leave because it's a Bible passage, but we've got a lot of good things to learn from here. Um, the question, I think, that the text asks us is, um, have you ever had an event in your life where you've seen it from a different perspective? Has something ever happened to you, but then you've seen it from a different perspective and it's changed your view on things? Uh, a few years ago, our staff team went away on a staff retreat and there was one of the mornings when I went for a job with our senior minister, Kevin Hill. And almost from the start of the job, Kevin was out of breath, and every footstep was labored. And I remember thinking at the time, man, this guy is not very fit. I am an elite athlete. I've got to go easy on him. That's, the, that's what I was thinking the whole time. But two weeks later, do you know what we found out about Kevin? He had an underlying heart condition. So I was boasting about being a fitter athlete than a 50-year-old man with an unresolved heart problem. Completely different perspective. Changed the way I saw myself and I saw Kevin. Judges chapter 4 and 5 is a very unique passage in Judges because it's the only time in Judges where we get two chapters that two different perspectives on the same event. Chapter 4, you have the story of what happens. And chapter 5, you get the song of Deborah, this poem which looks at the same events from a different perspective. And what I think God's trying to do for us today is He wants to say to us, not everything you see with your eyes is as it appears. He wants to train our eyes of faith to see that there is more going on that God is at work, even though you can't see it at this point. So I'm going to pray for God that God helps us to see with eyes of faith as we look at these two chapters this morning. So please bow your heads and I'll pray. Father, we give you thanks for gathering us today, those who are regulars with us, but also those who are joining for the first time. 
We pray, Father, that you would grant us the eyes of faith to see that you are at work in the events of every little detail in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just get it? I'm really interested because this is going to help. It's okay if you didn't do this, but can I just get a show of hands? Who looked at this passage in the last week or so in their growth groups? Okay, so that's about half, I think. Okay, that's going to help because there's a lot of details in this passage. Um, if you've been following the in Judges, you'll know by now that there's a cycle in Judges. And, and Israel seems to go through the same pattern. So they sin against God, you know that one. They cry out to God for help after they go into the hands of their enemies. God raises up a judge to rescue them. The judge dies and then go back into that cycle of sin and it starts again. So what I want to do today is to help us travel through the narrative I'm going to start reading chapter 4, and what I want you to do is I want you to stop me when you see a break in that pattern. Okay? Now, I'll probably stop us for us. It might depend on you, but you can do it in your own minds. Okay? So I'm going to start reading. When you notice a break in the cycle, that's an important detail. So come with me. Chapter 4, Judges, starting from verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in sight of the Lord after Edom died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Hagorim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Stop there. Okay. We have a new detail in the cycle. For the first time, we're giving a specific number of the size of the army, okay, the size of the battle, 900 chariots of iron. And as Shinoi pointed out in our kids' spot, 900 chariots of iron was a formidable army. All right, now, as I mentioned before, chapter 5, different perspective. Come over to chapter 5, because this looks at the same picture from a different perspective. So come with me, chapter 5 and verse 6. In the days of Shangar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers kept to the byways. The villages ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? You see what's happened. Chapter 4, we see the enemy in the face of Israel, 900 chariots of iron. Chapter 5, we see Israel look at themselves, and there wasn't a single spear or sword to be seen. Now, what's God doing here? I think what he's doing is he's helping us see the absolute helpless despair of the situation. Not only is Israel up against the most formidable army they could think of, but they themselves are ill-equipped and offer nothing in the fight. This is what God's teaching us firstly. He's teaching us that apart from him, there is absolutely no Friends, that picture of hopelessness 
is what the New Testament describes in death. Because of our sin, we are ill-equipped in the face of death. Death is described as an enemy. And because we've rejected God and turned away from Him, the odds against death are not even odds. Death wins 100% of the time. There is no hope apart from God. I read recently about the frustration of some parents because their four-year-old was diagnosed with the most aggressive brain tumor. And they brought him out all the way from overseas to Australia to have his operation. And just before the surgery, the dad said to his son, he said, today's a big fight. You'll need to fight. And the boy had some balloons. As he punched the balloons, he said to his dad, Dad, I will fight like this. And he punched the balloon. Those words, I will fight like this, were his last words. After the surgery, he couldn't talk. He couldn't speak. He couldn't walk. He couldn't eat by himself. Ten months later, passed away. Because of our sin, because of our rejection of God, the 900 chariots of death stare us in the face, and death wins every time. Apart from God, there is no that's the pattern of judges, especially here. We're given the size of the battle that Israel has. All right, come back with you. Let's, let's keep going. Let's see where the next new feature begins in our cycle. Come with me, chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, at Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men from Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebul. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of David's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I'll give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Okay, there's a lot of new details in this section. We meet the first female judge. For the first time, the role of the judge is separated out. Barak, the commander, is called on separately to deliver the people in battle. Now before um, I get to the main point of what I think this section is saying, I just feel that I need to take a moment to defend Barak. Okay? Now, just to disclaimer, I'm not friends with Barak. Our families didn't go to the same school. I'm not personally invested in this. But for the last few thousand years, I think Barak has been unfairly misrepresented. 
Okay, so for those of you who've read this story before, usually even the most commentaries go down the line of, well, Deborah is a positive example of a godly woman, a leader, and I absolutely can see that. Barak, on the other hand, he's often shown as a hesitant person who didn't trust God. He was scared. He asks Deborah, please go with me. If you don't come with me, then I won't go into battle. So he's portrayed as this scared, at worst, coward in the story. But I think that's not what the narrator is telling us to get us to see. In fact, I think Barak is actually a positive example, not a negative example. Now, you might not be convinced by this, but come with me to the text. As you recall just then, Deborah asks Barak, to go to battle, and he says in verse 8, these are the really the key texts that people make their arguments from. He says, I will go, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And that's often seen as, I mean, Deborah, you need to come with me, I'm really scared. But my first point is that, number one, the narrator never makes evaluation on that. Unlike Gideon next week, who is scared, that's very clear from the text. Barak, there's no valuation of his character. Number two, what is the first description given to Deborah? In verse four, the very first thing she's described as prophetess. Now, in a time when it wasn't the days of Israel, it was the days of foreigners like Jael and Shemgar. Deborah, the prophetess, was the voice of God to the people. She was, and I would argue, the very presence of God with them. So when Barak says, if you will go with me, I will go. If you do not go with me, I will not go. I think you can read that as, if the word of God is not with me in battle, I will not go. And you can see that, that can be taken as a positive thing. Now, you might not be convinced. Verse 9 as well. Deborah says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell sister up into the hand of a woman. And often again, that's taken as you're going to be punished because of your requests. The glory will not go to you. But is that really punishment? Should the glory go to Barak anyway? I don't think so. There's nothing in there that says that Barak mistrusts God. And I actually think it's a positive example of one in God's presence in battle. Now, again, if you're not convinced by that, again, I'm not, I'm not personally invested in this. Barak and I, we don't have any connection. And it doesn't bother me as well too much because that's not the narrator's main point. The narrator's main point is he actually minimizes both Deborah and Barak. And his question is, where does the glory go? Where does the glory go? Do you notice in verse 9, the glory is not going to go to Barak. So Barak gets pushed aside, the glory goes elsewhere. But even for Deborah, you'll notice she says there in verse 9, nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, at this point in the story, you think the glory instead is going to go to Deborah. But 
we know by the end of the story, the glory doesn't go with her. The victory actually goes to a different woman. So if you see the narrator's, you see all the the, the narrator's main point is that he wants to minimize Deborah. He wants to minimize that. And he wants to say that the glory of this victory goes to no one else but God himself. Verse 14. Deborah said to Barak, For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Verse 23, so on that day, God said to Jacob, In chapter 5, we get time and time again, the glory of the victory, though people were involved, where does the glory go? It goes to God. God alone is worthy. So the second thing that the eyes of faith teach us, it helps us to see that what the world does is it elevates people. It seeks to give glory to people and make little of God. But the eyes of faith help us to see that we are to make much of God and less of ourselves. I uh, was teaching our scripture class a couple of weeks ago about CT stud. Put up your hand if you've heard of CT stud before. Um, CT stud, uh, leave the wall. I'm terrible with dates. Somewhere in the past, um, English guy, um, world renowned cricket player, exceptional talent, um, hugely wealthy, coming from also a wealthy family. Um, but when he trusted in the Lord Jesus to forgive his sin, he gave it all up and he went. China, Africa, and India to preach the gospel. And with the, the eyes of the world, he was wasting his talent, giving up the comfort of riches. But with the eyes of faith, we see a man who actually saw that the glory did not belong to himself, that the glory actually belonged to, to God's perfect son, Jesus. So he made much of the gospel and less of himself. God alone is worth the glory. All right. Now we come to the final part of the story, and this is the best part. This is the best part. I'll show you why. Come back with me to chapter 4. And we're going to have a look at the back section of story of Deborah and Barak. We're going to have a look at verse 17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent. She covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if anyone, uh, any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heba, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand, 
Then she went softly to him, drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground, while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Behold, his back was pursuing Sisera. Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with a tent peg in his tent. So here's a new addition to the cycle, isn't it? We don't just see God raising the judge and they just have victory over the army. You have this weird section at the end where the commander of the army, Sisera, after the, the, the army's defeated, he escapes on foot and he goes to this random place meeting this random woman, Jael. She kills him with a tent peg. What do you do with this story? What are you supposed to take away from this? Fascinating question. Now, for me personally, because I'm a bit desensitized to violence, it's probably not a good thing, um, this part of the story, the violence of the tent peg, the tent peg doesn't bother me for a while. The thing that I can't get my head around or struggle to get my head around is in chapter 5, different perspective. So come with me, chapter 5, verse 24. So again, I didn't have a struggle so much with the story, but when it comes to chapter 5, verse 24, have a listen to what Deborah sings about. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Eva the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, she gave him milk, she brought him curds in a noble's bowl. This is crazy. She sent her hand to the tent bed and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. What I've really struggled to get my head around is why does Deborah reserve special praise for Jael? Why does she celebrate Jael and the violent murder or killing of Sisera? That's the question. Now, the clues, I think, again, are in the details, and this is where you have to concentrate, but I promise you it's worth it. Because um, I've changed to a few growth groups, and um, they came up with conclusions, and I think they're reasonable conclusions. They said maybe JL heard about God, and she thought, I fear him. So maybe she's working for God because she heard of the glory of Israel and the glory of God, so she did it. But the narrator doesn't make any of those comments. So we need to work hard. Come back to the chapter 4. This is the hardest bit. I need you to concentrate. The key, I think, is in the contrast between the two main characters. So who are the two main characters? Sisera, Jael. And what do we learn about those two characters here? Okay, Sisera, a man. Jael, a woman. Now, if you go to chapter 9, there's an interesting incident in Judges where Abimelech, the king, is about to die after getting clocked on the head by a woman. And before dying, he actually asks a sword bearer to kill him because he doesn't want to die by the hands of a woman. So women were seen as less, men were seen as more. First detail. Second detail. What did Sisera have at his disposal? What was his weapon? 
Remember that detail from earlier in the chapter? 900 chariots. What does Jael have? A tent there. Old Testament picture points. Okay? 900 chariots of iron. Picture points. Second detail. Third detail. Where does Jael live? She lives in a, a tent. Okay. Fourth detail, and I could be stretching this, but do you notice that even in the dialogue, what kind of words does Sisera say? Do you notice that everything that Sisera says is a demand? Give me milk. So give me water on Thursday. Stand at the door of the tent to make sure no one knows I'm here. Now, who makes demands? People in positions of strength. And what does Jael do? She humbly serves at the request of Sisera. Do you see where we're going with this? What is the pattern of Jael? She is the pattern of weakness. In the eyes of the world, a woman, kitchen appliance, tent dweller, humbly serves. Sisera, man, 900 chariots of iron, demands. So friends, and this is the important point, in chapter 5, when Deborah celebrates Jael, what does she celebrate? She's not celebrating violence. She is celebrating the victory of weakness over strength. She is celebrating God's victory of weakness over the strong. That very promise in Genesis chapter 3, when the offspring of a woman would crush the head of Satan, so J.L., a woman, crushes the skull of the enemy. Friends, for us, why does Deborah celebrate J.L.? For us, it's the celebration of the cross. For in the eyes of the world, the cross was that moment of great weakness. That moment where a man half naked, was put up on a cross, seemed like he lost. But with the eyes of faith, we see that same event of the cross from a different perspective. We see that in that moment, that weakness of Jesus was the point where God would use to crush sin and death. And that's why I think Deborah makes such a big thing about the crushing of the skull. It's, you feel like it's unnecessary to labor the temple getting crushed by the tent thing. But she does that because at the cross, sin and death are defeated once for all. So that those without hope at the beginning of our story might find hope and forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. People like you and me who, apart from God, have no hope because of our sin. At the cross, we can find great redemption and great forgiveness and great hope. So, friends, have you seen today with eyes of faith your need for forgiveness of a person in Christ? If you're looking for something more in life, if you're not sure about who you are, if, you're, if you haven't examined your heart, 
ridiculous about today, Judges 4 and 5 points you to the cross of Christ. And that is the point where you will find God's victory over sin and death through the witness of his son. Isn't that incredible, that connection between Judges chapter 4 and 5 and the work of our Lord Jesus on the cross? We have a, there's a lot of details that we didn't cover in chapter 4 and 5. So I'm hoping that you can keep reading this in your growth groups or reading it personally. But I wanted us to see that chapter 4 and 5 gives us two perspectives on the same event. It helps us to see that the events in your life and the events in my life, they're not just things that happen in history. With eyes of faith, we see that there is more going on beneath the surface. That because of our sin, we are indeed needed. That we see that God is willing and faithful to rescue us for his own glory, and that you can find that forgiveness and that victory through the victory of the cross, God's weakness, having victory over sin and death. So may God fix our eyes on the cross this week as it reflects on our own sin. Why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you for Judges 4 and 5, and we thank you that through this cycle of sin and faithfulness from yourself, we thank you that we see your, um, your glory and your victory, even through the weakest of methods. So, Father, lift our eyes in whatever situation we can find ourselves in, that we may look Lift that burden of sin through the death and resurrection of your Son for our sake. And Father, we ask this so that you and you alone may receive the glory. In Jesus' name.